Oh, come on, Sirens. You chose to live in Manhattan. Go away. I need to talk about basketball with my friend Adam. Go away. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the being the goat to Diana Taurasi. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Do you want to tell us more about Taurasi's uh, goat tendencies? I mean, she is just putting up absurd numbers in the playoffs right now, reminding everyone, hello, in case you've forgotten... My name is Diana Taurasi, and I'm really good at basketball. How does she stack up against Sue Bird in your in your mind? The Sue Bird Diana Taurasi argument is kind of like the Jordan LeBron thing, where if you mm. look at just the careers, Sue Bird has a better career in terms of championships won and such, and definitely more team success as the Storm have won more WNBA titles than the Mercury. But Diana Taurasi has not had as fortunate of injury luck as Sue Bird, but also Diana Taurasi has more individual accomplishments. So I would say that Diana Taurasi is the better player, but Sue Bird potentially has the more illustrious looking career in terms of team accolades. But I think even Sue Bird would tell you that Diana Taurasi is the, the goat. She's just an obnoxiously good basketball player. And she's proven that in these playoffs. We'll get into this in full court press. But yeah, Adam, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. How old is uh, Diana Taurasi? Let's see. Diana Tarasi is 39 years old. Years young. Years young. Yeah, it is interesting. We're going to have to see how late current NBA players play because we don't have a lot of super old NBA players right now, but you have players who I think could have a long career. Steph Curry is so good at shooting. I feel like he could play if he wanted to until he was 44. Right. If he just wanted to stand in the corner and shoot threes at a ridiculous rate. Yeah, he could totally do that. Right. So. I'll be interested to see how late some of these people play, but even some people are just kind of hanging it up early. JJ Reddick just retired. He probably could have played more years, but he decided I'd like to be a dad more if that's okay. And you know what? That is okay, JJ. Yeah, good for him. It is a young league, uh, except for the Lakers. (laughs) Gosh, they are quite old. And in media day, the Lakers unfortunately had this weird lighting thing where there was a light directly on top of some of the photos they were taking. So it made them look like all of their players were balding, which I mean, some of them certainly are. Not if you go to LeBron's hairline, doctor, you're not. (laughs) So before we get into more basketball stuff, we have to prepare ourselves. And the best way to do that is to get ready and get prepared in the Teal Memorial locker room. Teal has confirmed on Twitter that she does like Dr. Teal's bath products, especially their bath salts, which I know that bath salts, I've never used them as a bath term, but aren't they also like a thing that get people fucked up. Yeah, bath salts are the thing that the person was using when he ate a person's face in Florida at that time. So don't use those bath salts. And I don't think Dr. Teal produces those, to be clear. (laughs) We're not sponsored by Dr. Teal, but we want to be clear that Dr. Teal has nothing to do with illicit drugs. Right. We don't want to throw out the sponsorship opportunity. (laughs) So we're making that clear. But yes, our sponsor today is Hello Face. (laughs) But yes, let's go to the Teal Memorial locker room and talk about some folks who probably loves a good bubble bath. Do you know who that might be? I think it might be 
an existing patron who has now upgraded to a producer level patron. Yes. Shout out to Lisa Hill, aka Denver Steamed Nuggets, who has upgraded to the producer level status. They join the illustrious ranks of Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hardwick, Salvatore Testa, who I did tell to trust the process in person. And Sal said, thank you very much. Trust the process. Siobhan Ellsbury, Shubidubidu, Godzilla got busy. Steph Curry for three. Bang. He sells seashells. LeBron James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Zachary. No jazz, no pizza. Eileen Gazash, Avatar Kiyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. Andabor Lee, Mitch Chrysler. Bang. Bang. Brown men can jump. Jimmy Butler for two. Long suffering Timberwolves fan. Roast beef debris. Christ ball. Kate the Conqueror. Basketball is life two. Michaela loves Allison. Ginger Spurs boy. And now Denver steamed nuggets. I'm not mad about getting to say Denver steamed nuggets every episode. I'm not either, though. I feel like lunchtime recordings are out because I'm always going to just get little rumblings in my tummy for (laughs) some chicken nuggets. And speaking of food, hey, Adam, who's our sponsor for this episode? Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh, indeed. Hello Fresh is America's number one meal kit. They will send you food directly to your door that you can cook, and it's not hard to do so. They offer 50 menu and market items to choose from every week. They've got vegetarian meals and calorie smart choices and extra special gourmet options, so there is something for everyone to enjoy. And they offer the flexibility that you need to easily customize your order. So you can do that on the app within minutes. You can change your delivery day. You can change your food preferences or how much food you get, or you can skip a week if you need to because... Food and planning and meal prep and all of that can get all mixed up by various things in your life. So having that flexibility is cool. And also having that food is cool. It's really tasty stuff. I've made quesadillas with them that are really good. I used a panini press to make it extra tasty and I loved it. Panini press sold separately. Yes. Panini press, unfortunately, did not come in the box. I thankfully had it, but I didn't need it. It was just an extra thing that I did. They gave me everything else I needed to. And I really got to say the recipes having step-by-step pictures is so Mm -hmm. crucial. It's so fantastic because you know, am I screwing this up? Oh, no, I'm okay. I'm on the right track. It's very helpful. Yeah, it is. In a world of subscription service things that are often kind of gimmicky, let's be honest, HelloFresh, not one of those things. It is genuinely very good. I am a big fan. Mm -hmm. So if you want to check it out and if you want to become a big fan, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash 14 horse and use the code 14 horse for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 14 horse and use code 14 horse for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. So check that out and get some tasty food in your box, in your apartment slash home, and then get it in your belly today. And you can support your horse boys. Yes. Gotta love supporting the horse boys. It's one of my favorite things to do. And speaking of supporting the Horse Boys, Multitude supports the Horse Boys by having us as a part of the collective. If you want to listen to some other shows that Multitude makes, there's a whole bunch, and one that you might enjoy is made by our friend Moya, Dr. Moya McTeer, and it's called Exolore. If you've ever wondered about what life would be like on a planet different from ours, or how writers create your favorite fictional worlds, Exolore is for you. Every other week, astrophysicist slash folklorist Dr. Moya McTeer explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders, or reviewing the merits of the worlds that have already been built. So you will laugh, you will learn, and you'll gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Exolore, E-X-O-L-O-R-E, or go to exolorepod.com. Moya is a great person. She's very smart and funny. I highly recommend listening to her talk into your ears. I absolutely recommend that as well. That's Dr. Moya to all of you. Yes. Even when I had her on the newest Olympian, she was the most recent guest. I named all the audio files Dr. Moya because I wanted to respect her PhD. Listen, as someone who does not nor will ever have a PhD, she deserves to be doctor forever. 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 Just like Dr. J. So with 
That completed, we can get into full court press. Get it? Like the news? Mm-hmm. Great. So, as we alluded to in the introduction, the WNBA playoffs are in full swing. We're recording this one a little early, Monday, October 4th. So, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be wildly different. But as it currently stands, the Phoenix Mercury are ahead of the Las Vegas Aces, two games to one, and the Connecticut Sun are actually trailing the Chicago Sky two games to one. Like, what up, Sky? What up, Sky? What up, Sky? I know. It's, 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 it's good. Unfortunately, my beloved Seattle Storm were eliminated in dramatic overtime fashion. Mm-hmm. Brianna Stewart was injured and she is our best player so the fact that we made it all the way to overtime and then lost still makes me feel okay about the team but that's a disappointing end to the season and honestly the fact that the aces and the mercury are playing against each other is really fun because both of those teams are absolutely stacked and as we alluded to in the introduction diana tarossi is a woman possessed in game two diana tarossi played for 27 minutes and scored 37 points pretty good when you score more points than minutes yeah she shot 10 of 13 from the field eight of 11 from three and nine for nine from the free throw line (laughs) good lord i mean it's a almost literally as efficient as you could be absolutely absurd so she is destroying she is helping the mercury potentially pull off an upset of the aces they're up two to one as i said the past two games have been blowouts in favor of the mercury but it's a good series I would highly recommend if the series is still going on. I don't know if it'll still be going on in a week, but regardless, everyone should find out when the WNBA games are on and watch them. These playoffs have been very fun, even though my favorite team has been eliminated. But Adam's hometown team is still in there. So go Sky. Yeah, the Sky have been very good. Um, Frankly, other than, I guess, the White Sox making the playoffs, it has not been a great time in Chicago sports of late. Um, but I read a tweet and I, I really, I tried to find it and I could not find it again as we recorded this, but a tweet from a Chicago media member who very disappointingly a couple days ago, as the sky are moving forward in the playoffs was literally the only person attending the Chicago skies media availability. And that sucks. That sucks a lot, especially because the sky have a fun team. They've got Candace Parker. They've got Mm -hmm. cool uniforms and they might upset the number one seeded Connecticut sun. They won the first game in double overtime, 101 to 95, and then they won game three by three points. It's been a really tight series. The Sky Sun games have been super duper close. It is unfortunate that it's not getting the media coverage because it's one of those cycle things. People always say, oh, more people would pay attention to the WNBA if it was more fun. Like the reason no one's covering it is because it's not interesting. No, you have to work both ways. And the fact that they don't always get the media coverage that they deserve really stinks. Yeah. It was one of the few nice things about when the bubble was going on is that there wasn't a lot of competing programming. So a lot of people watched it because it was on and people realized, wow, WNBA games are really fun to watch. And I know that there's baseball playoffs going on and football and all that kind of stuff, but these WNBA games are really solid and I hope more people watch them. Agreed. But aside from that, fun things. Yay. WNBA is cool. Uh, NBA Scary. NBA, not not as fun (laughs) because the WNBA is 99 percent vaccinated without any sort of mandates. And the NBA was at 85 percent. I think they're up to 90 now after a very struggle bus filled uh, media day. Media day is when all of the teams take pictures and do promo videos and talk with reporters about the upcoming season. We've already talked about how there's drama in that. Ben Simmons is not reporting to the Sixers. So it was a lot of people trashing Ben Simmons on the Sixers. Joel Embiid not holding anything back, calling Mm -hmm. him out for a lot of different things. But unfortunately, a big topic of discussion became vaccinations, because as we talked about in the last episode of Force, there's three teams where a vaccine is required by the rules of the city 
to play indoors to do any sort of indoor activity. And my beloved New York Knicks, no issues. 100% vaccination. It is so wild to live in a world where the Knicks are just boring. It's so weird. <laughs> like we've always been the talk of the league for wilding out. And it's just, oh yeah, all the Knicks are, the Knicks re-signed all their guys and are vaccinated. Ho-hum. <laughs> hey, good for them. I, boring sounds wonderful right now. In this world right, that we're in right now, boring is great. But the Nets had some issues in that Kyrie Irving, who does think that the earth is flat, doesn't necessarily trust vaccines, and he couldn't go to media day at all because he's unvaccinated. The people at the Nets are saying that he's probably going to get vaccinated before the season starts. We'll have to see. And then the other big thing was for the Golden State Warriors, who play in San Francisco. Andrew Wiggins was anti-vax, and he said he wasn't getting vaccinated, and then he tried to get a medical slash religious exemption and then that failed so then the team said you got to do it and he did do it so he is going to be vaccinated before the season starts Draymond Green then said some stuff where he tried to compare asking people if they're vaccinated to private matters like asking details about someone's wife's pregnancy which is not the case because I am pretty sure I, you know, I only had the one health class in, in high school, but I'm pretty sure pregnancy can't infect other people and cause them to die. So I feel like it's a little bit of apples and washing machines like they're not the same. It's like comparing apples and pregnancy. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like comparing coronavirus to pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. No analogy needed. It uh, just is as ridiculous as it is. It's wild. Yeah. And then LeBron, unfortunately, quote tweeted it and said, couldn't have said it better myself. Literally anyone could have said all of it better. Right. I think there was somebody who works for the rigor that quote tweeted and said, yeah, yeah, you could have. <laughs> uh, oh, man. It, it is disappointing. I understand privacy and all that kind of stuff. But keeping other people safe, which is what this whole thing is about, is completely different. And it's no longer a personal choice when you are endangering innocent people and prolonging a pandemic that is completely different. And it's unfortunate to see some of the folks in the league support this. But also Draymond Green defended Kyrie Irving when he said the earth might be flat. So are, are we that surprised? We shouldn't be that surprised. I mean, are we sure the earth isn't flat? Yes, we are. Oh, okay. We're okay, super cool. sure. Just making sure. <laughs> I've been skydiving. I saw it. <laughs> it's curvy. <laughs> but thankfully, there are a good chunk of players in the league who take this seriously. And a lot of people in media are. We already talked about Charles Barkley. Shaq got on the mix as well. He said, quote, in this line of work, sometimes you have to be selfless. I took the vaccine because I'm not trying to get my mother sick or my sister or people around me. Sometimes you have to think about the overall picture and you have to think about more than yourself. Shaquille O'Neal said this. That's profound. That is such a great quote. Can you repeat some of that quote as Shaq? In this line of work, sometimes you have to be selfless. I took the vaccine because I'm not trying to get my mother sick or my sister or people around me. I want to get that barbecue chicken, you know? I, or, ooh, <laughs> I, I like I like my sense of smell and taste. I want to get that barbecue chicken. <laughs> also, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said that NBA anti-vaxxers are perpetuating the stereotype of the dumb jock, which is nice. And an NBA spokesperson said that if there's any player who elects not to comply with local vaccination mandates, they won't get paid for the games that they miss. In the NBA, if you're injured, you still get paid because that would be unfair. But if you're willingly choosing to not be vaccinated and you're not going to get to play in a game, you won't get paid. And honestly, where we're at in the world right now, financial disincentives is seeming like the only way to get people who aren't over the fence over the fence. So whoop, got to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in New York City now, I believe if you get vaccinated, you get $100. You, 
can I retroactively get it? I don't think so. I don't think I so. I would love 100 Well, they started out with, uh, you'll get a round trip Metro card, which like, literally, who is that <laughs> changing the mind of? Like, well, I was on the fence, but now that I know that I can get there and back for free. That's wild. I yeah. also was upset when they did the Shake Shack thing where you could get a free burger if you got a new vaccine. And then if you mm. had one before, all you got was fries, which it's not called Fry Shack. It's not even called Burger Shack. It's Shake Shack. That's come yeah, on. That's true. That's true. At least Krispy Kreme, they do one thing. And when you had the vaccine, you got the donut every day. And I can still get donuts if I want to. Shout out Krispy Kreme. Come on, Shake Shack. I haven't actually hit up Krispy Kreme for my free donut. Have you? I have. You can do it every single day, but I've only done it once. And it was just very satisfying to walk in, show my vaccine card, and then they handed me a donut and I left. That was the whole exchange. It was glorious. <laughs> oh, it was glorious. What a time. So let's end this on a, on a happier note from NBA Media Day. There is a player on the Orlando Magic named Robin Lopez. He has a twin brother named Brooke Lopez, who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks just won the championship. They are twin brothers and they very much have a twin brother rivalry. And when he was asked about his twin winning the NBA championship, Robin Lopez said that he wasn't sure if Milwaukee actually won the championship because he wasn't there and he didn't watch the game. So he said he's still doing his own research to see if Brooke actually That's is an hilarious. NBA champion. It's so funny because one, you're making fun of your brother and two, you're making fun of these people who are quote unquote doing their own research by watching YouTube videos with 12 views. That might be quote of the year. It's really good. It's a great two jokes with one stone joke. Uh, uh, method and I like it and I love sibling rivalries and I love dunking on people who are being selfish so shout out to Robin Lopez you are the the winner of NBA Media Day congratulations so with that complete we can get into our next segment which you have prepared it's a that actually happened yeah it's been a while since we've done one of these we've had a lot of fun interviews recently we did the mm -hmm. Space Jam episode we've done some other three on three drafts but we are back to the, the old faithful. And for this mm -hmm. week's That Actually Happened, I am going to discuss a recent event from this summer that absolutely blew my mind. Uh, Shubes, does the name Hansel Emmanuel Donato Dominguez, or Hansel Emmanuel for short, mean anything to you? It doesn't. I'm very excited. Okay, I didn't think so. I had never heard of him either. But if you're curious, Hansel is going into his final season of high school basketball and just received a scholarship offer from Tennessee State. Not that remarkable, right? Plenty of kids get scholarships from top schools. No biggie. Until I tell you that Hansel has one arm. Whoa. Now, you may recall a previous that actually happened during which I discussed former NBA journeyman Gerald Green and the childhood accident that caused him to lose the ring finger on his shooting hand. And just overcoming that is incredibly impressive to me. But amazingly, playing sports at a high level with one arm is not without precedent. So before we get to Hansel's remarkable story of perseverance, let's talk about a few others. Oh, we're going to get a baseball reference, aren't oh, we? Oh, <laughs> you know what I was going to say, Misha, uh, and Misha is our editor. Get your bell ready because guess what? <laughs> You got a baseball reference coming at you. I can't even believe we waited this long. And by the time you are listening to this episode, the Yankees will have lost the wild card game to the Red How Sox. How dare you? Come on. Anthony Rizzo's on the Yankees. You got to root for Kyle the Yankees. Kyle Schwarber's on the Red Sox. What do you want me to do? <laughs> anyway, I assume what you are referencing, which is who I'm going to reference, is Jim Abbott. Who played for the Yankees, baby. Who played for the Yankees, yes. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with Jim Abbott, uh, he was a Major League Baseball pitcher from 1989 through 1999. He famously pitched a no-hitter as a member of the Yankees in 1993. But in his best season in 1991, he finished third in Cy Young voting, which is the award given to the best pitcher in their league, after finishing 18-11 and 11 with a measly 2.89 earned run average for the, at the time, California Angels. Shout out to Danny Glover and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and... Matthew McConaughey and everybody else in Angels in the Outfield. And for people doing arm motions everywhere. Yeah, you got to do the arm motions. It's good for your heart health. Uh, 
Now, Abbott had been born without a right hand and obviously as a result pitched left-handed. This didn't necessarily limit his pitching ability, but it certainly made other aspects of the game like fielding more challenging. And I don't know if you've ever seen footage of this, but what he would do is Abbott would rest his glove on his right forearm when he pitched. And then as soon as he released the ball, he would quickly slip the glove onto his left hand. Once he fielded the ball, he would then slip his hand back out of the glove and grab the ball to throw it to whichever base he needed to. And it sounds almost impossible, but get a load of this. In 10 seasons in the major leagues, Abbott committed only nine errors in 300 attempts. Whoa. Good for a 976 fielding percentage. That's incredible. I have seen him field. It's very impressive, especially because as a pitcher, not a lot of balls get hit to you. So to be that good at something that you almost never have to do, it, I mean, that takes dedication. Yeah. You could be very impressive. lazy and just think, ah, the ball's not coming to me. But right. he's dedicated to the craft. Not to mention how little time you have to do that. Oh, I mean, yeah. As soon as the ball's out of your hand, I don't even see how it would be possible to get your glove on before the ball would be coming back at you. He found a way. He did find a way. And here's something even more ridiculous. While Abbott spent the majority of his career in the American League, which meant that he did not have to bat for himself because of the designated hitter, he did actually hit a triple in a spring training game in 1991. And when he pitched for the National League's Milwaukee Brewers in 1999, he had two hits in Major League games, both off of former Chicago Cub John Lieber, whom I have interviewed on my baseball podcast, Away Games. Shameless plug. There you go. But here's my favorite part. Abbott's former Yankee teammate slash greatest closer of all time slash inexplicable Trump supporter, Mariano Rivera. Uh, I hate that last part. I, I know. hate remembering that I last know. part. <laughs> Mariano Rivera claims to have seen Abbott hit multiple home runs during batting practice. That's so while cool. While he was on the Yankees. And you'll be happy to know that I was able to find footage of one of his hits, and we will definitely be sharing that link on the episode page. Like, how strong do you have to be to swing a bat with one hand? I don't even understand that. I would guess as strong as you need to be to throw a 100 mile an hour fastball. So I guess it checks out. So pretty strong. Pretty strong. But yeah, doing it with one hand, that that's tough, man. Yeah, I mean, hitting a baseball is one of the most difficult things to do in all of sports, let alone with one hand. 100%. So amazingly, Hansel Emanuel is not the first one-armed basketball player to compete at a high level because back huh. in 2014 and 2015, Zach Hodgkins, who was born without the lower half of his left arm, was a walk-on at the University of Florida, which is a very good college basketball program yes. that has produced NBA players such as Bradley Beal, Al Horford, Joe Kim Noah, and White Chocolate himself, Jason Williams. To clarify for our listeners, if you've never heard the term walk-on, that refers to a player who's not offered a scholarship, but tries out for the team in college and is added to the roster. Though Hotskins didn't get much playing time, he was a fan favorite and played limited time in 10 games throughout two seasons on the Gators, scoring a basket in one of those games. And amazingly, he ended up playing professionally overseas, most recently in Germany during the 2019-2020 season. And we'll post some highlight videos of his on the episode page including a legendary video from only six months ago where Zach is playing pickup and absolutely bawling his ass off. Like Let's just go. embarrassing people. That's fantastic. Yeah. So with all that being said, Let's get back to the recent news involving Hansel Emanuel, who disappointingly does not have a sibling named Gretel. <laughs> I, real, real missed opportunity there from his parents. Mm -hmm. Unlike Jim Abbott and Zach Hodgkins, Hansel was not born missing his left arm. Emanuel grew up in Los Mina, one of the poorest barrios in Santo Domingo, the largest city and capital of the Dominican Republic. Some of you may know Carl Anthony Towns, another prominent Dominican basketball player. So it is a sport that is growing in the Dominican, uh, although the number one sport what do you think it is? Baseball. It's baseball. Baseball. Uh -huh. Kelly and I went to the DR for our honeymoon and we met a guy there who was a former prospect of the New York Yankees. And this dude was jacked. Oh, yeah. He was a very muscly man. And uh, yeah, it's huge down there. As you may recall, when I was last in the Dominican Republic, I met a cub. 
a bear or a player? <laughs> yes, they have wild cubs roaming the country. No, <laughs> a, uh, a Cubs player. I was at a resort and got talking to one of the employees there. And we started talking about baseball because that is what I do all the time. But especially in the Dominican Republic, I know I'm usually going to find a captive audience for my musings. And he asked me what team I liked. And I said, I like the Cubs. And he was like, do you know Randy Rosario? And I was like, the relief pitcher? Of course I know Randy Rosario. He's like, he's my cousin. Do you want to meet him? And I was like, what? That's so cool. And so we we went into town and there was Randy Rosario standing in his mansion. And he showed me around and I spent like 20 minutes with him. And he was a lovely man. Fantastic. Yeah. Love to hear it. There was a part of me that thought I was going to get murdered because it was like, like, hey, I know this baseball player. Do you want to? leave this resort that you're on and follow me in a taxi while I drive my car to a part of a country you've never been to before. But it's worth it. You can meet a a player from your favorite team. But it's worth it. You can meet an obscure relief pitcher who will not pitch for the Cubs beyond that season. Totally worth it. So before I describe what actually happened to Emmanuel, uh, I do want to warn people that this is kind of graphic. It involves an accident. uh, And if you would not like to listen... Totally cool. Skip ahead like 30 seconds and you'll be all good. In any case, uh, Hansel Emanuel, he did grow up in the Dominican Republic. He grew up in very impoverished circumstances. And tragically, he had his arm amputated at the age of six after a wall collapsed on him. Oh, man. Uh, he was trapped in the rubble for almost two hours before his father, a former professional basketball player himself, was able to extricate him. Apparently, Hansel was playing with some friends on the street and they were climbing on this like wall of cinder blocks and the wall collapsed and a block fell onto his left arm, trapping it. And after two hours, his tendons were shattered so severely that there was nothing doctors could do to save his arm. And as Emmanuel later stated in an interview, I didn't want to do anything. I couldn't tie my shoelaces. I couldn't even have a glass of water. And his father had a difficult time as well. As his father later said, my life fell apart when Hansel's accident happened. I was the one with him, and when they had to amputate his arm, I felt like it was all over. But God grabbed us and led us down this path. You remember everything because a blow like this is not forgotten so quickly, regardless of all that he is achieving, thanks to God. But eventually, and against his parents' wishes, Emmanuel started playing basketball again. And needless to say, particularly growing up without the kind of privilege and resources that many athletes have in America, he gained recognition, as many people do these days, via the internet. Hmm. Yeah. So a few years ago, he started posting highlight videos to Instagram that featured him, among other things, draining pull-up three-pointers, breaking ankles with filthy crossover dribbles, and dunking on defenders. Like, this dude's vertical is, it's got to be like 40-something inches. It's absolutely absurd. I can't wait to watch videos. Yeah. And we will obviously be posting some of these videos, but Emmanuel's Instagram account, uh, actually, as we're recording this, Instagram is down. Uh, So anybody's listening to this in a week, remember that a week ago? That was weird. (laughs) But uh, from what I could figure out before everything stopped for a bit, his Instagram is currently over like 600,000 subscribers. Like he has a a very sizable following. That's very cool. And uh, his account, as it started to grow rapidly, eventually drew the attention of a man named Moises Mitchell at Life Christian Academy, which is a top basketball academy in Florida. And he decided to bring Emmanuel to the U.S. on a scholarship at the age of 16. And as you can imagine, playing in a highly competitive environment against top talent in a completely new country, there were some growing pains. Uh, I'm just kidding. There were no growing pains. He's absolutely nasty. Uh, Emmanuel's stat line during his junior year season was 26 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. My goodness. At one of the top basketball programs in the country. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, He has stated that his dream is to play in the NBA, and if he does, what an incredible story that would be. And to round out this segment, I can't think of a more fitting way than via a quote from our boy, 
Shaquille O'Neal, <gasps> a horse staple, not to be confused with a horse stable, which is a different thing mm-hmm, altogether. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you and I have gotten on Shaq numerous times over the past year for being a hater and insulting players like Christian Wood and Donovan Mitchell and other people he has deemed inferior for some reason. But I am happy to report that when it comes to Hansel Emanuel, Shaq Daddy has nothing but praise because Shaq is quoted as saying, I wish people understood how different Hansel Emanuel is. He beat some of the best high school players with one arm. But... There's one more spicy little Denver-steamed nugget that I'm going to throw in here. In my research, I came across a video from May of this year from Ball is Life, which is a big NBA channel on YouTube, where both Hansel and Zach Hodgkins, the one-armed player from Florida, are playing in the same pickup game on the same team, and it is awesome. I cannot recommend watching this enough. It's like 24 minutes. I watched the entire game, but it's one of those pickup games where like people are getting chippy. There's like fights during it. It is intense and it is super super cool and at one point he does a obviously a one-armed windmill like from almost the free throw line like i didn't even know what i was like like i'm very excited for you to watch this kid because it's uh, he's unbelievable sounds really good i'm so excited i've never heard of this this is such a fun thing to learn about yeah and that actually happened and is continuing to happen and hopefully happens all the way to the nba yeah one two three three two one three on three So for my three on three, I was inspired by the current series in the WNBA playoffs between the Aces and the Mercury because the first game was really close and then the other games were blowouts. So for my three on three, I found the three longest games in NBA history and the three biggest blowouts in NBA history. So the most overtimes and the least requirement for overtime ever. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to start with the blowouts just because they are less ridiculous and also it's just less fun for the teams involved. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. So the game with the third largest scoring difference took place in March of 1972. It was between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors. The final score was 162 to 99 in favor of the Lakers. That is a 63 point difference. And this isn't too surprising given who was on the Lakers at the time. This team had Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain on it. So they were really solid. This team also had Pat Riley on the Lakers coming off the bench. But the most surprising thing about it is Wilt Chamberlain only had 10 points in this game where 162 points were scored. Who the hell was a leading scorer? The leading scorer was Gail Goodrich, who I've never heard of before. Are you sure that's not a Harry Potter character? (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of alliteration characters. Gail Goodrich, who does have a fantastic photo that we will link on the episode page, at least his photo on basketball reference. And he had a solid career, averaged 18.6 points a game and was a five-time All-Star. So maybe I'm a buffoon for not knowing who Gail is. Ah, I think we're just young. Right. But Will Chamberlain, who played in this game, his career average for points a game was 30.1. Now, granted, this was in his second to last season. So he only averaged a measly 14.8 points per game and 19.2 rebounds per game. Classic Will Chamberlain. But yeah, just very surprising. Pat Riley actually had a really solid game, too, off the bench, scoring 17 points in 17 minutes, which is a good ratio. Jerry West played well. It wasn't necessarily one of those one person absolutely exploded games. It was just really that the Lakers played very well. They shot 61% from the field and 75% from the free throw line. But what the true story behind this game was is that the Warriors were complete butt during this game. (laughs) No one's scored more than 15 points and their field goal percentage was 34 percent not good at not all good. not good 
That's not even a good three-point percentage. No, not at all. And three-pointers didn't exist in 1972, so who knows what they would have shot from three in this game. (laughs) So the number two biggest blowout was a game between the Pacers and the Trailblazers. It was a 65-point route by the Indiana Pacers. They won 124 to 59. Jeez. (laughs) The Blazers scored 59 points. The Blazers, here's what they scored per quarter. 14 points, 15 points, 14 points, and 16 points. At least they were consistent. The Pacers went 33, 26, 25, and then 40 in the fourth quarter. Just piling it on. I feel like somehow only scoring 59 is even more embarrassing than losing by that margin. That's the thing is that this game is, even though it's not the worst of all time, only scoring 59 feels like it should be the worst. And I even looked to think, what? Did the Pacers play all their starters? in the fourth quarter or something to try and run up the score? No, none of the starters played more than two minutes. Wait, wait, wait. What year was this? This was in 1998. Ooh, okay. So I can, let me see how many other players I can name on that team. Okay. So we're going to have Rick Smiths involved. We're going to have yes, we Dale are. Davis. We're going to yes. have Anthony Davis. Antonio Davis, yes. Antonio Davis. Okay. Not to be confused with Anthony Davis, who is a current player with a sick unibrow. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Travis Best in there. Was he around? Yes, he was. Wow, look at me. Who else do we have? Who put up good numbers? So Mark Jackson. Of course. Chris Mullen. Fred Hoiberg, former coach of your beloved Chicago Bulls. Ah, the mayor. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Terrible coach. But what was wild is that in the fourth quarter, they played pretty much exclusively the bench, but the bench balled out in just the fourth quarter. The bench shot 79% from the field. They were living right. (laughs) They, I guess the bench decided, wow, we don't get to play that much. So let's destroy. And then also just the trailblazers were atrocious. And similarly, they played quite poorly in the fourth quarter, mainly just playing their bench. But yeah, this one, since it took place in 1998, there was a three point line. So the Blazers shot 33% from the field overall. Mm -hmm. Not good if you're only making a third of your shots. They shot 17.6% from three point land. Oh my gosh. And they shot 17 threes. So it wasn't like they went one for six or one for seven. They went three for 17 from three. Yeah, that's bad. Now, was this during the 97, 98 season? Yes, it was. Yeah. So this was a very good Pacers team. Yes, like it was. For, for anybody who has seen The Last Dance, this is the team that pushed the Bulls to the brink of elimination. Like they took the Bulls to game seven in the Eastern Conference final and were up by 15 before the Bulls battled back. So in, in defense of a very bad Trailblazers team, at least they got their asses kicked by a really good team, but it's still pretty bad. But surprisingly, that Blazers team actually wasn't bad. At the time this game took place, they were 33 and 23 and the Pacers were 39 and 17. Granted, the Pacers were incredibly good, but the Blazers finished that season fourth in the Pacific Division. They finished 46 and 36. Yeah, it's a good team. It's a good team. They had good players on their team. Isaiah Ryder, Arvita Sabonis, Rasheed Wallace, Damon Stoudemire, Jermaine O'Neal. So not a scrub team, just a really bad day for the Blazers. You know, that it happens sometimes. Sometimes you just come out flat and as I'm sure we've talked about on this uh, and as I'm sure we've talked about on this podcast before in that same season the last dance took place in an incredibly close NBA finals there is that weird oddball game three where the Bulls beat the Jazz 96 to 54 in an NBA finals game it is one of the strangest games I've ever watched what's really interesting though is in the game's preceding this game, they had four blowout wins. They beat the Celtics by 25, and then they beat the Warriors and the Nuggets and the Rockets all by at least 30 points. (laughs) So they had a great month, and then they just all took a big poop 
against the Pacers. Yeah, I would think that this game really messed with their uh, win differential number. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one for sure. So the number one biggest blowout in NBA history took place in December of 1991. It was between the Miami Heat and the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was a 68-point difference. Oof. The Cavs won 148-80. to 80. Damn. Just a ridiculous performance. Again, this is just a tale of the Heat played very poorly. They only shot 35% from the field. They did shoot 43% from three, but the Cavs were just unreal. They shot 57% from the field and 55% from three. So pretty, pretty good stuff. They also shot a bunch of free throws. They made 24 out of 29 compared to the eight for 11 that the Heat had. And again, similar to the number two biggest blowout in the fourth quarter, they outscored the Heat 42 to 13. Oh man. That's demoralizing. Right. The Heat actually had an okay first half. They scored 24 points and then 29 points, whereas the Cavaliers scored 34 and then 39. Uh, A 20-point lead, but nothing atrocious. But then in the second half, the Heat scored 14 and 13 points compared to the Cavs 33 and 42, which is atrocious. Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Pretty bad. So those are the three biggest blowouts, but let's get into the three longest, most overtime-filled games in NBA history. And the number three longest game was between the Seattle Supersonics and the Milwaukee Bucks. It was November 9th of 1989. The final score was 154 to 155 in favor of the Bucks. And we will put a link on the episode page for this episode on our website. There is a 15-minute YouTube video that just has all of the important plays from the fourth quarter on, and it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, that's... That's awesome. So at the time, this was the longest game in NBA history in the shot clock era, and it almost went even longer. So Tony Brown and Jeff Grayer got hot in the fifth overtime, and they scored nine consecutive points, 9-0 run, just the two of them, to put Milwaukee up 155 to 146 with 34 seconds left. But then the Sonics went on an 8-0 run. Oh my gosh. Within 34 seconds. Wow. And they were one point shy of making it go to a sixth overtime which would have been an nba record can you imagine if you were like not a basketball fan and that's just the one game that you happen to go to in your life and then you see this (laughs) epic game i mean you probably wouldn't stay but if you did what a i feel like that would make a basketball fan out of anyone or if it was a first date and it wasn't going well and you were just stuck there forever because you oh my God. drove together. That's a really interesting <laughs> first date choice, an NBA game. Yeah, I, that's a long time commitment for a first date. Yeah. But yes, this was an absurd game. You can watch the YouTube video of it. it was such a dramatic finish to an already dramatic game. A huge run, another huge run that came out just short. Oh, incredible, incredible stuff. I'm excited to watch that. So number two took place on November 24, 1949. Now, this date will sound interesting for two reasons. First, 1949 is the first year of the NBA being the NBA, and November 24th, at least in my brain, November 24th is always Thanksgiving, even though it's only sometimes Thanksgiving, but this game (laughs) was on Thanksgiving. This was a Thanksgiving game in the first year of the NBA's existence, and it's one of the longest games to ever take place. These people were not eating turkey at any point that day. No. They were not. And I've got a very fun article that I will link to about just the history of this game. But man, it is just a ridiculous, ridiculous game. So this game was between teams called the Nationals 
and the Packers. It was the Anderson Packers, which is in Indiana, and the Syracuse Nationals. Not to be confused with Anderson Pack. Exactly, right? I feel like he should get an Anderson Packers jersey. But <laughs> it was between them and the Syracuse Nationals. Syracuse is in upstate New York. And this game was played at the New York State Fairgrounds, which, as its name suggests, is where the New York State Fair would happen. But this team played their home games there from 1949 to 1952. It sat 6,822 fans. And just the names involved in this game are so good. The only name that I did recognize is that the Nationals had rookie Dolph Shays playing for mm-hmm. them, and he turned out to be an incredible NBA player. But what was also interesting is that the Anderson Packers, I can only think of Anderson Pack now, just a team of all Anderson Packs <laughs> playing. The Anderson Packers, they were the champions of the National Basketball League, which was one of the leagues that got merged to create the NBA. So they were kind of the defending champions going into this game. It was really interesting. It's just so funny to hear about an NBA game involving the Packers and the Nationals. We've got like three right. three sports involved. Right. The Washington Nationals are a baseball team right now. The Green Bay Packers are a football team right now. It's super strange. And they're playing at a fairground. <laughs> yeah. In Syracuse, which is known for college sports. So this game had five overtimes. It took three hours and 48 minutes to complete. And this is three hours and 48 minutes of not commercial breaks and stuff. Right. This game just took that long. The final score was 125-123 in favor of the Nationals, and it was reported at the time, quote, at least six, possibly more all-time NBA records were established in this zany contest. (laughs) One of those records was the fact that 248 total points were scored, and according to the Syracuse Herald Journal the following day, the Packers protested the loss, quote, asserting that Syracuse had illegally substituted and I'm all of these names are real, had illegally substituted Leroy Choilet for George Ratkovich. Oh, my God. <laughs> there were a lot more white people in the game back then. <laughs> it goes on. The officials, Lyle Spike Garnish and Garnish, Garnish, G-A-R-N-I-S-C-H oh and Barney Hearn, H-E-A-R-N, stated that they were filing a report to headquarters immediately, leading to the Herald's headline, quote, Nats await ruling on protested 125 to 123 court victory, but it was ultimately upheld. The protest did not work. I'm going to guess that uh, the record for most points scored in the game is no longer 248. Uh, I don't. I would. I don't think so. I think that's every sure. NBA game now. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a standard over under. So in these five overtimes, both teams used every single player that they could. But also, many teams had to use players who had already fouled out, so it was clearly the most foul-heavy game in NBA history. It says there were a total of 122 fouls Jesus. in the game. <laughs> Just absurd. Absolutely absurd. Now, in the fifth overtime, the... Packers scored 18 points and the Nationals only scored 16 points. Johnny Macnowski finished with 21 points for the Nationals. The Packers were led in scoring by Frankie Bryan, who put up 18 points. Now, if you look up the box score for this game, the only stats that they have are points, fouls, and then free throws made and attempted. 14 total players fouled out and two of them got seven fouls, which is against the rules. (laughs) (laughs) I think you can play someone who's fouled out and then you get a technical foul. If they get another foul, there's some sort of penalty there. But the only thing more ridiculous than this game is the names involved in this game. 
Frankie Bryan, John Hargis, Bill Kloss, Howie Schultz, Frank Gates, Walt Kirk, Ed Stanchak, Milo Komenich, Raleigh Seltz, Ralph Johnson, Jack Smiley, Johnny Maknowski, Ray Corley, Paul Seymour, Dolph Shays, George Ratkovich, Alex Hammam, Ed Peterson, Bill Gabor, Andrew Levine, Al Servi, and Leroy Shoilet. <laughs> Wait, did you forget Garnish? Garnish was a did referee. Did you forget the Garnish? No, I did not forget you the Garnish. Forget, you can't, can't forget the Garnish. In true Garnish fashion, he was a referee, so he was just, you know, optional for the game. <laughs> not essential. You can read a whole fun article about this, and they have a photocopy of the newspaper back then, and man, it's just absolutely absurd. And this is a Thanksgiving game, right? Thanksgiving game, baby. I love the idea that long before cell phones or anyone being able to really communicate with each other, there was probably some guy who told his wife, like, yeah, I'm going to go catch a basketball game. I'll be home in time for Thanksgiving dinner, and then just stayed there for <laughs> 10 hours. So the final game, the longest game ever in NBA history, was in 1951. In January, it was between the Indianapolis Olympians, which is a very cool name, and the Rochester Royals, which is also a very cool name. Now, when we've been talking about these games, it's mostly been high-scoring endeavors. And even this past game, the one in 1949, it was in the 120s, even though back in the day, scores were not very high. This game, the final score, even though it had six overtimes in NBA record, final score, 75 to 73. What the hell? What was the score when it went to overtime? Like 12 to 12? No. So here's the thing. Across six overtimes, it was only 10 points to eight points. This game was one of the crucial reasons that the shot clock was invented. Yeah, because probably like whoever scored first in overtime just tried to keep the ball away from the other team. That is exactly what happened. Let me give you a quick rundown of what the scores in the overtimes were. And I'll also say the other quarters just for perspective. So the first four quarters, it was 20 to 10, 18 to 23, 19 to 20, and 8 to 12. So clearly in the fourth quarter, they were doing a little bit of keep away stuff because they scored about half as much. First overtime, 2 to 2. Second overtime, zero to zero. Third overtime, <laughs> two to two. Fourth overtime, zero to zero. Fifth overtime, hold on to your bowler hats, four to four. <laughs> A boisterous scoring occasion. And sixth overtime, two to zero. <laughs> That's so funny. So what's also interesting, again, the names, Alex Gorza, Ralph Beard, Bob Lavoy, Paul Walther, Leo Barnhorst, Mal McCullen, Cliff Barker, Joe Holland, Arnie Risen, Jack Coleman, Bill Calhoun, Bobby Wanzer, Pep Saul, Joni McNamee, Red Holtzman, and Arnie Johnson. Red Holtzman, Nick Legend. Red Holtzman's a legend, yeah. Nick Legend played like but He went one for nine from the field. Not very good at all, Red. But maybe one of those nine field goals was the two points needed to keep his team afloat. It could have been red holzman did play and this is unofficial because they didn't officially track minutes but a reporter said that he played 76 out of the possible 78 total minutes in this game and he did play like but for 76 minutes oh my gosh that's a long time to play also i feel like before about 1970 regardless of what your name at birth was if you had red hair people just called you red and you couldn't do anything about oh, it yeah 100 percent. what was interesting is the rochester royals clearly had one player who was good and then everyone else was because Arnie Risen, he shot 27 shots and had 26 points. The next highest player, Jack Coleman, only scored 15 points on 14 shots. Only one other player scored in double digits, and then everyone else was in single digits. So very reminiscent of a pickup game where one guy's just a ball hog. If only Walt could have covered that game. Arnie Risen tantalizing. Oh, would have been so fantastic. 
Now, another interesting note is that the Indianapolis Star the following day reported, quote, Ralph Beard sank a breakaway shot with one second left in the sixth overtime period last night to give the Indianapolis to give the Indianapolis. Oh, my God. To give the Indianapolis Indianapolis Olympians. That's probably why they're not called that anymore. So they're not they're not the newest Olympians is what you're saying? No, they're not. Uh, Too much phonics going on. Indianapolis Olympians. That could be a new he sells seashells to give the Indianapolis Olympians a 75 to 73 decision over the Rochester Royals in a record shattering National Basketball Association contest before 3,790 fans. And as I mentioned, this game was a key momentum mover to get the shot clock invented because I'm sure those six overtimes were incredibly uninteresting and those are the three biggest blowouts and the three longest overtime games we've got more absurd stuff on the patreon i put together the the full five on five here and there's some spicy ones two of which involve my beloved new york knicks nice well i very much enjoyed that that was great thank you i hope you did i had a fun time saying a bunch of old white guy names (laughs) but less fun saying Indiana Olympians. Indianapolis Olympians. That is such a mouthful. And also the weird, you've got the the P's in there. Unique New York. Yeah. You know you need the Indianapolis Olympians. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shubi Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Anna Borjali, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! Brown Man can jump jimmy butler 4-2 long-suffering timberwolves fan roast beef debris christ paul kate the conqueror basketball is life too michaela loves allison ginger spurs boy and denver steamed nuggets if facebook and instagram are working by the time you listen to this a week from now (laughs) you can follow us at horse hoops and if you're on twitter which has been working this whole time you can follow us at horse underscore hoops because Horse Hoops was a staunch opponent to the shot clock existing. Horse Hoops mm. loved that zero to zero triple overtime. So freaking boring, man. Well, <laughs> for some non-boring stuff, go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the things we referenced today, like Jim Abbott getting a hit with one hand, footage of Hansel Emanuel and Zach Hodgkins playing together and absolutely bawling their minds out, and you can see some of the things that Tubes referenced in his amazing three-on-three involving Mr. Garnish. I don't know if there's video footage of that because I don't think, I mean, cameras were invented, but like, the, the, yeah, the world was still black and white back then, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> But if you want to support the show and get some sweet bonus content for doing so, you can go to patreon.com slash horse hoops. You can get access to five and fives. You can get stickers. You can get jerseys. You can get a whole bunch of fun stuff. And if you go to multitude.production slash merch, you can get some horse merch as well. So we're going to close this episode out as we do every single episode by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. I feel like rooting for Hansel Emmanuel. I want nothing but the best for that basket boy. So maybe we just say go Hansel on three. Yeah, I'm into it. Dope. All right. One, two, three. Go, Go Hansel. Hansel. I cannot wait to watch those videos. I'm so stoked. Once this call's over, we're watching them, baby. Let's go. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to send you those links right now. They are great. Yes, yes.